Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. We're so happy that you're enjoying this wonderful series from Warren Litzman called Renewing the Mind. Again, this is from a conference he had, he and Robbie had down in South Africa years ago. And it has been such a rewarding experience to hear this again. So many of you out there have responded and just want to hear more and more. So let's get right into it. Today's version of Renewing the Mind. Here's Warren Litzman. What are the CNS gang? There are problems. Look at all the problems we've got. Problems. Money problems. That's your biggest one until you get sick. Physical problems. Psychological problems. Religious problems. That's your most hurtful. Religious problems hurt worse than any other, especially if you love the Lord. They hurt. Problems. Fam- family problems. Relation problems with the family and the world. Problems. 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 There's all kinds of them. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you never had another situation? You know about situations? As sure as you get into a difficult situation, you know what happens? It gets compounded. You ever that happen? Fellow works on a job. Foreman comes along and says, I got to lay off six people and you're one of them. Well, nothing to do but to go home. So he wanders home, sad and disillusioned. That's bad. How am I going to make my payment? How am I going to live? How am I going to buy groceries? You can't just go out and get a job today. What am I going to do? Well, I'll tell you what he's going to do. When he walks up on the front porch, he opens the mailbox, and there's a letter from the Internal Revenue Department. Oh, my Lord. He thinks, is it worse? Sure it is. They're going to check up on him. He goes and sits down at the kitchen table in despair, and one of his kids come running in, holding his arm. He fell out of a tree and broke it. So he's got to rush him down to the emergency what a day. Compounded. One thing after another. Wife finally comes home and she says, husband, I got good news. My mother's going to come see us. <laughs> That's the pit. Couldn't get any worse. That's compounded circumstances. Have you ever noticed that's the way it happens? The doctor don't tell you one little thing's wrong with you. Something else happens that compounds it. You can't go to the job. You can't uh, put any money with it. or the, You get balled up with the insurance company or whatever it is. Everything seems to just kind of crash in on you. Well, if he were a good God, would he do that? We'd like to really have a good God, wouldn't we? You got one when you feel good. When problems are compounded, that's different. So what happens in life is that all these things bombard us. Paul called them fiery darts. The devil cannot reach you inwardly. I don't care what you think, the devil cannot reach you inwardly because you are protect, you're protected there. You, you, the scripture says you're in Christ. Let's put the believer in Christ. He's in Christ. Old square head comes after you. 
What does he have to do to get to you? He has to break through Christ. If you believe, there's no way he can get through Christ and touch you. So he can't reach you inwardly. The only way the devil can touch you is outward. So now the fire darts are coming, just one after another. They are sailing your little bullet. They're aimed right at you. You're under siege. Everything is going wrong. Why doesn't God remove it? Why doesn't he give you an instant miracle? Well, let me say a word about that. He does sometimes. Sometimes God gives you just what you ask for like you asked for it. Most of the time, if he gives you what you asked for, it wasn't the way you asked for it. But that's okay. We'll take it anyhow. And yet, most of the times, you don't get an answer at all. When I started preaching, I worked with Oral Robertson, some of his first crusades. And he had a little theorem. He said that only 7% of the people who came to the meetings got healed. 93% of them didn't get anything. And through the years, that's been a statistic for all healers. And thank God for 7%. 7 out of 100 pretty good. But most don't get healed. Most don't get helped. And so... Another gospel is important. Why didn't Paul preach divine healing? He healed the sick. But why didn't he preach it? Why didn't he give us a good lesson on it? He did on gifts of the Spirit. He did on Israel. He did on a number of things. Why didn't he give us a good lesson on healing and miracles? Because there was something that was bigger and greater. i got charismatic friends who don't believe that. They believe if you do right, everything's going to work out. But the very statistics stare them in the face. The problem is they don't believe Paul. I was in a preacher's meeting one time, and there's a young fellow there who was heavy in the charismatic message. And he said, I'm just buffled. Buffled. In Texas we say buffaloed. I don't know if you know what that means. It's really baffled. He said, I'm really baffled by the fact that the other night I prayed for some sick and all of them got healed but one or two. And he said, I don't know where I failed. Well, I wasn't talking to him. I just overheard that. So I rushed right over in my delicate way. <laughs> and I said, what, what, what difference does it make if a couple didn't get healed? Oh, he said, they got to all get healed. My ministry must be perfect. He said, there'll come a day that everybody I pray for will be healed. Every one of them. Well, I said, that sure is contrary to the gospel that Paul gave us. It came right from Jesus Christ. That's contrary. And you know what he did? He looked at me and he said, we don't preach from Paul because Paul didn't have a revelation of faith. He said, anybody be shipwrecked three times wasn't led of the Spirit. Anybody get beaten with rods three times? Didn't have any faith. So we're going to stick with Abraham. So many do. And you know what? They ignore Christ in them. What does Paul teach us? God didn't change his world, but Paul was an overcomer. Yep, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, forsaken by his brethren. A sickness that God never healed. Those were not the criterions of faith. 
his faith stood in the fact that he that is in me is bigger than he that's in the world. And I'm not overcoming the world because God's changing my outside world, but because he's changed the world inside of me. Christ in me. Well, you got all these things bombarding. They're trying to break through the believer, but not to hurt him. What's the purpose of all these things? It's simple. Everything that bombards you has a purpose, and that's to push you to Christ. He's at the center of your being, and now God would like to get your attention by the trouble and push you into that Christ. That's the safe harbor. That's the place of rest. That's where your hope is. Christ in us, our hope. Our hope is Christ in us. That's why everything in this world was created by Christ and for Christ and none of it is contrary to Christ. Be honest. Most of you in this room tonight wouldn't be serving God like you are if it had not been for the CNS. You wouldn't be sitting on this seat tonight if this world and its troubles and trials had not pushed you to Christ. Why do we want to hear hide our head in the sand and say that's not truth when it is truth. So I want to renew your mind that all things are of God. They have purpose. That purpose is not to make you a better Christian. That purpose is not to give you power. That purpose is to push you to your life core. Right in the center of your being is this person. That's who God wants to see instead of you. Christ. Well, we call these things converging powers. Converging power. The converging powers that came on believers in the Old Testament were eradicated by God's outer power. Like we have a Samson that in obedience can pull down the wall and scare the potentate. He has this great outer power. But he's got no inner power. So if he disobeys God, he loses his power. The Old Testament is filled with God doing things outside of us. The New Testament gospel is God doing something in us. He's moved from the outer to the inner. I'd like to stand here tonight and tell you, if you had enough faith, you'll escape the CNS game. And I'd be lying. You know what predestination is? Just to show you how weird I am. I believe in predestination. I don't believe in it. I practice it all the time. But to show you how weird I am, I don't believe that it's the unconverted that are predestinated. I like that. Any Presbyterians here? Just uh, close your ears for a minute. I don't believe unbelievers, sinners, and unconverted are predestinated. I don't believe it because of the English Scripture. Turn with me to Romans 8. Two or three times this word is mentioned in the Scriptures. And each time it's mentioned, it has a message that often is overlooked. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 reads, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, who did foreknow? 
He foreknew everyone that's in Christ. How do I know that? Ephesians 1 and 4. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So those whom he foreknew, he also did predestinate. Now notice what they were predestinated for. They were not predestinated to be saved or to go to heaven or to be free of sin. They were predestinated to be conformed to the image of his dear son. Well now, logic tells you that sinners are not predestinated to be conformed to his son because you can't be conformed to his son until you are one. So it isn't said to unbelievers. It's said to the believers. What does it say? It says that every believer from the very beginning when God created the world, he foreknew it that everyone that had Christ in them had one purpose and that was to be conformed to the Son. Now that's not going to help the predestinationalists. They believe something else. But it helps me. Because it happened to me. It's happening to me. I've got predestinational powers working in my life because every time I turn around, something's happening to conform me to the sun. That's where the old CNS gang comes in. Everything that's happening in your life was planned by God. Now, he didn't plan for you to sin. You say, well, what about the devil? That's a switch in God's hand. You'll thank you with him, but he's still got control. You were predestined by the circumstances of life to be conformed to his. I'd like to get rid of that. I'd like to say I'm already there. I used to have a preacher that preached the manifestation of the sons of God. And every time he thought he had a group that had been manifested, they failed him. So he never did get a bona fide group of manifested sons. If he had come here, I'd have shown him a house full of them. Well, we didn't have the message of in Christ at that time. But he was always trying to get him a group that were already manifested that he could say, there they are, there them. That proves it. Trouble is, they all fail. They all fail. Like we had a church in my neighborhood where they had the five-fold ministry, and the biggest fight I ever heard in our town was in that group because the five-fold got fighting each other. The prophet wanted to be the apostle, and the pastor wanted to be the evangelist. Wasn't long till I had regular war going on. You're predestined to be conformed to his son. I've said along the way that the greatest hurt a believer ever has is religious hurt. It hurts when you get involved with a group of people and you're ostracized, criticized, worked against. That's the worst hurt a believer can. Why does God let that happen? God will save souls in a church house. But he often doesn't take away the church trouble. Why is he like that? Because those are predestinational powers that are conforming us to the Son. You want me to tell you something? In all my years, and I've seen plenty of it, I've never seen a church split. I've never seen a pastor or preacher go wrong. I've never seen believers get in a war with each other that some of them didn't press closer to. And I've got to tell you, that's straining through a whole lot of muck and mire to get just a few. But that's the way it is. Converging powers have been predestined, predestinated. Look at the Ephesians. What is it? First chapter of Ephesians. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, Having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Love that last line. Did you know what kind of thrill God gets? You know where he gets his pleasure according to this verse? Watching you in your circumstance. That's where God gets his kicks. He sees you struggling and wiggling and driving and doing everything you can, ignoring Christ that's in you. He gets a kick out of that. He sees you wearing yourself out and knows in the end the only reason you're going to be saved is because Christ in you. The only way you're going to make it is by Christ in you. And God gets a kick out of what we go through. He gets a hilarity out of me. But what this verse says is that we have been predestinated to the adoption of children. Now, adoption is twofold. Technical adoption is twofold. Immediately when you're saved, you're adopted out of Satan's family into God's family. That's the first process of adoption. But the second process of adoption is indeed a process because the moment you begin sitting at the Lord's table and begin eating with the Lord's children and fellowshipping with the Lord's family, you'll find they're all different from you. You don't know a thing about it. You don't know how to sit at the table. You don't know which silverware to use. You don't know whether you like the food or not. You don't know whether you like the boss over you. You don't know anything. You've been adopted into the family, but you're going to have to grow up in understanding. You're going to have to come to knowledge. The adoption process takes up the moment you're born again where you begin to learn the ways of the Lord and how to operate. You're predestinated. We have a wonderful testimony in the Christ life. I guess it's wonderful. I get I get a kick out of it. It's all these people that never did fit in anywhere. Got kicked out of every church they went to, made every preacher mad, upset their family until they came into the Christ life and for the first time it all fit together. I get a kick out of that because that's the process of adoption. You ever go to a meeting? Maybe you went to your own church building and you got so irritated at the message the preacher was preaching. What was happening? You were eating some strange food that didn't fit. What is that? Why did God let a thing like that happen? You're his sheep and shepherd ought to look after the sheep and keep them out of all kinds of trouble. No, you were predestined to the process of adoption. So it's going to happen. I ran into a fellow not long ago. Uh, I don't know. I must have been in California. That's where all these kind of people are. He said, I've been kicked out of 20 churches. <laughs> I thought that might be a record. I took a look at him and wondered how long he'd be in our meeting. But he finally got fixed. He said, after all of this time, I got somebody to listen to me when I said, Jesus lives in me. That's the process of adoption. Happening to all of us. So all of these things are pushing us to Christ. We're coming in to the knowledge and the understanding of who we are. Someone said to me earlier in the day, well, how do we find out who we are? Well, the old CNS gang's working on it all the time. So the next time you get a load you can't carry, look up and say, Father... Please open my ears and let me hear what you're trying to say here. Don't let me start praying, God, take away the burden. Let me pray, Lord, 
open my ears so I can see. Well, two of the more prominent scriptures that deal with all things ought to be talked about, and I'll do it as briefly as I can. One of them is Romans 8 and 28, which you know by heart. For we know that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's a real loaded verse. It wouldn't be a hard verse if we would believe the third word. K-N-O-W. For we know. The reason all things don't work together for you is you don't know any. You just don't know. Paul said if you knew... All things would work together. Well, what is it you need to know? That all things are working to push you to Christ. Knowing. That's why I'm here. That's why you're taking video sessions, reading books, to come to a knowing. Remember, the greatest statement of faith in the New Testament is when Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. He never said, I know what I believe. He said, I know in whom I have believed. That's the greatest statement of faith. He knew something. He knew something. So we know that all things work together. Or do we? Let's look at some, a couple of the other words in there. One of them is all things work. Talk about work. Do you believe everything's working for your good? No, you don't. You do in this meeting, but you don't out there in the, in the wilderness. In the wilderness. <laughs> you think you would. But we're not quite there yet. So everything that's happening to you is working. What's happening here to this fella? All this is working on him. When these outer things come against us, you know what it does? It gets our attention. You know what the miracle of work is? All things working for our good? All of a sudden, he's released. He's released to every one of these problems. All of a sudden, it's not my problem anymore, it's his. It's not my life, it's his life. It's not my victory, it's his victory. So we've reversed something here. The problems got our attention. We begin to see Christ as our life, and then Christ began to be released in the problem. Well, now, if you've been under the law long, your first thought is, well, if Christ is released in the problem, he's going to get rid of it. Not necessarily. But it's a great comfort to me when he says it's his problem instead of mine. I feel a lot better about it. Because I figure he's had one like this before, and I probably haven't. And he sure has some knowledge, intelligence about it. So I'm greatly relieved there. It's working for me. Working for me. But let's really bear down on that word. You won't like this, so if you don't want to go with me into this next adventure, just uh, read your Bible. Second Corinthians 4 and 12 says that death works in us, but life in others. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? You thought she was already dead. You thought she was already ready to be made into a beautiful Christian. Nope. 
death works in us that life may come to others. I don't have time to dwell on this. I'm not going to take time. But I want you to get it in a, in a nutshell. All life comes out of death with God. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. All life comes out of death. Four times in Romans 6, Paul says, we're dead. We're dead by water baptism. We're dead by our acts. We're, we're dead by what he did on the cross. Four times he says we're dead. He also says those four times we ought to know that. Then he says we ought to reckon ourselves dead. You're going to have to reckon a while before the wiggling part of you gives up. Reckon yourself dead. <coughs> what does it mean death works in us? I may have told you this before. This little story something happened to me in our West Coast, one of our West Coast fellowships. There was a young man in this fellowship who wanted a girl that was in the fellowship. Nice young man, beautiful young girl. And so he took a look at her one day and tried to get a date with her and she gave him a date but nothing came of it. She didn't care for him. But he thought God spoke to him and said, you're going to be my wife. So he ran around telling her and everybody else, she's going to be my wife. God's given her to me. Lord's already spoken to me. She's going to be my wife. And his whole life was built up around that thought and she wouldn't give him another date. She told him time and again, I don't really love you. I don't want to be your wife. You're a nice guy, but that's, I don't feel the Lord in it. She did what she should have done. But he had made his mind up. God's going to give him that girl. Obsessed with it. One Sunday morning, I was up front. I just happened to be talking to him. This is in a Holiday Inn, a big room. And, and I saw while I was talking to him, this girl come in the door for the meeting. And she had another fellow on her arm. Oh, I thought, this is going to be bad. He'll never handle this. I was talking to him at the time. He'll never handle this. And I tried to move around so he wouldn't see. <laughs> at least when I was standing there, what was happening. Because I just knew he was going to blow up. But he caught them out of the corner of his eyes. And he stood and stared. And finally his eyes glistened. I put a hand on his shoulder and I wondered what in the world is going to come of this. When he finally looked up at me and he said, well, I give up. He said, I guess the Lord has somebody else for her and the Lord has somebody else for me. And that was it. Well, I thought we was going to have an explosion. That he's going to go with that new boy and sock him in the jaw and knock him out of the meat. But my eyes glistened. Because I knew he was going through death. He was dying. He really believed God would give that girl to him. But he was ready to give her up. He died. But you know what he did? He gave me life. He gave me life. Because I couldn't have seen a more beautiful thing come out of him than came out of him. Have you ever gone to the hospital, somebody dying, you made your mind up, you're going to try to cheer them up, and you got in a sick room and they cheered you up instead? That's, they die that they might bring life to the rest of us. I've got to tell you, that's the part of Christianity the world hasn't seen. 
They haven't seen the hell some believers go through to bring forth Christ. They don't know what you suffered and hurt, what you went through to be a, to be a Christian. We don't know. But if in the midst of all of it, you have the right attitude. Well, okay. The Lord's still in control. He's my life. I can't be a loser. Be something better for me. That's life. That brings life to others. This old business, you grumbling, bless God. If I'd have had any faith, I'd have got that girl. Had been for the devil, I'd have got that girl. No life in that. That's junk. The life was when he says, I succumb. I give up. The Lord's got something different. Life. Well, if you didn't like that, you sure won't like the next verse. Second Corinthians 4 and 17, don't go to it. No need. It's that little verse that says, our afflictions work. I'm still on that word work out of Romans 8 and 28, for we know that all things work. All things work. So he says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 17, everything that's happening to us is but a light affliction, but it's working for far greater weight of glory. Well, you don't like that, so we'll just pass that by. I can remember the years I preached healing where I said, if I thought a cancer would bring anybody closer to God, I'd pray to get a cancer. wonder God didn't smite me, did he? He should have. That was a stupid thing to say. But we believe that because we didn't want people going around thinking that they suffered or hurt or had any pain or had any sickness because God might be dealing with them. No, sir. He does deal with us through every circumstance. Every one of them. Just be prepared. He works. It works. But then I want to talk about the word together before I leave Romans 8 and 20, for we know that all things work together. All things are working together. That's the negative and the positive. You don't like the negative, but the world is made up of it. I've attempted to establish that. You're not even going to leave here tonight and start your car without a negative post on the battery. That's a God law. Can't have any power in this universe without the negative. I was talking to a healer some time ago, and he said, God's really attacking sickness. He said, we're seeing all kinds of sick people healed. And I stopped him and I said, did you know if there were no sick people, you wouldn't be seeing anything? He didn't like that. He thought he was getting rid of sickness. I said, it's sickness that's making you see God work. That's the way it is. All things work together. What's working together? God, the devil, and you. That's a cadet. A togetherness. You say, how'd the devil get in there? The Lord uses him. He has always been a convenient agent for the Lord. How would the Lord ever get an innocent substitute on that cross if he hadn't had a convenient agent to start it all off with the serpent in the garden? Because he had already said the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. One other verse where the word together is, or the word all things is used. And this is in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and 15. Now you're really not going to like this all things. I keep trying to find something you don't like. <clears throat> I'm having a hard time with most of you. You like it all. 2 Corinthians 4 and 15. 
just the first line says it. Pure English now. It says, all things are for your sake. What does that mean? It means what it says. It means that some of us are so dumb that everything that happens to us is good for us. All things are for your sake. See, I told you you wouldn't like it. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, that's what happens. That's really what happens. All things are for your sake. That's what you need to be who you are. You've never had a thing to happen to you that on God's part wasn't necessary to help you become who he created you to be. Better think about it before you agree with it because that's heavy weight of understanding. A lady came to me not long ago after I talked like this Her eyes glistened, and she said, you sincerely believe all things are God? I said, well, that's my message. I'm trying to get that across. She said, when I was 18 years old, my mother came down with Alzheimer's. My father had died a few years before. I was the only one home with mother. We had no insurance. We didn't have money, and I couldn't turn her over to an institution, so I knew that I had to take care of my mother. She said, I started taking care of her, and that's exactly 50 years ago. I'm 68 now. Said, Mother's still alive. She's in her late 80s. And she said, I'd like you to answer me. You really believe that's of God? She said, I've never had a date. I, of course, have never had a husband. I, of course, have never had a child. I've never had a life of my own. I've been very few days free of my mother. That I spent 50 years taking care of an Alzheimer's patient. You believe that's of God? That's a hard one, but I had the answer from the Holy Spirit. I looked at her and I said, Are you sure there was nobody else to help you? She said, There was nobody else. said, We didn't have a relative that cared. Or said once in a while some of them dropped by and gave me an afternoon off. I said, nobody in the family helped me. I said, did you have a friend or a, a neighbor or somebody that could help you? She said, well, they were all kind of scared. She said, once in a while they took pity on me. I got a night free. But she said, I can't recollect any one of them ever staying the night with mother. I said, are you sure there was no institution to take her? Oh, yes. She said, I could have sent her to the welfare home. We couldn't get insurance. After she got Alzheimer's, we couldn't get insurance. We didn't have money. And she said, for some reason, I couldn't turn her loose to an institute. I said, you've given the answer. How's that? I said, the answer's clear. There wasn't anybody else. And there wasn't anything else. Just you. See, what does that mean? I said, it's simple. God fixed you because you were the only one he could use to take care of your mother. You've given me the evidence. No relative, no friend, no loved one, and nothing in the government could do what you did. God chose all things of God. 
these little problems ought to get swallowed up with that one. Our mother in California came to me not long ago. And she said, I can't believe all things are of God. Why? She said, I've got a fine husband. She said, I have three children and was pregnant with the fourth. When the fourth child was born, a boy, he was born mongoloid. She said, we had a happy home and a happy family and a bright future. But she said, the moment that mongoloid boy came into our family, he controlled our family. My husband was controlled, my three children were controlled, and I was controlled. She said, not a one of us since that time has ever been able to do what we wanted to do without that boy being the catalyst. He told us where we, when we would go anywhere. He determined where we would go. He determined how we would live and how we would spend our money. Said our whole life is wrapped up in this one child. Said, I'd like to ask you that of God. I smiled. And I said, you don't know how lucky you are, lady. Because a multitude of Christians will never know who they are. They're going to live and die and never know. But God fixed you by circumstances to one thing. He had a mongoloid baby to give to the world. He must have looked all around until he found you. And he said, she can handle it. She can handle this gift. She can take care of it. Tears came to her eyes. And she said, that's the truth. I wouldn't give that boy up for any other kind of life. I said, God trust, God trusted you. Those are not easy things, are they? But I gave you some heavy things because your load's not that heavy, most of you. But still, everything in your life is of God. The devil doesn't drag up anything in your life that God doesn't allow. You're his offspring. He birthed you. You're different than the people in the world. You're different than your next door neighbor who's unconverted. You're the chosen, the elite of God's house. Maybe not elite on this earth and don't ever think you are. You'll get smacked in the face. But you're the elite to that father. He's going to deal with you as if he had no other child. And he's going to put things in your life and work in your life because he's so proud of you. If you conform to this world, back to our original text, Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed to this world. If you conform to this world, you're going to have a hard time for this father who thinks you're somebody. He really thinks you're somebody. You're his offspring. He's as proud of you as he is a son that comes up in the morning. He's as proud of you as a son who hang on the cross 1900 years ago. He birthed you. Don't you think a proud father might maneuver in your life to bring him some honor and glory? Don't you think he has a right to raise you? To train you? Does he? You're his child. You're his bona fide first son. You're his direct heir. Heirs of God we are and joint heirs with Christ. Christ doesn't get any more out of him than we do. We're joint heirs with Christ. First born heirs of God the Father. 
Don't you think he might have a right to move in your life? Somebody came to me not long ago and said that was such a precious saint. I don't know why God took them when they're so young. I rattled back at him and said, oh, he was so proud of them. He loved them so much. I poured cold water on their sad story. Sure he did. He took them on. See, we haven't had the gospel preached. We haven't listened to this man, Paul. He knew what made a human work. He knew what made him tick. He knew the intricacies of the human being and nobody else in the scripture knew it like him. If we don't listen to him, we're never going to know the gospel. That's not the only place we should read in the scriptures, but it is important to know this final gospel that Jesus up in heaven sent to Paul one day in the Arabian desert by revelation. He sent it to him. And he said, I want you to go Preach this. Preach it to everybody. This is the last gospel. This is the gospel based on Christ in you. Go preach it. Go tell it. Your mind needs to get renewed because we've conformed to this world. We've conformed to it. We think like the world. We act like the world. We don't belong to the world. We're not earthlings. We're heavenly beings on a pilgrim journey on this earth. Our troubles and trials are different. They are responsibilities given to us by our Father. Oh, I got you so quiet now. I don't know what to do with you. That's why I'm talking to you about renewing your mind. You're going to have to think different if you're going on with God. You're going to make heaven anyhow. But I don't know why you'd want to continue on this earth without the life that overcomes this earth. Amen? You already got it. You just need to know how it'll operate. Praise God. It's the best group I've ever seen. It's the best group I've ever seen. Reach over and take your neighbor by the hand. Just take your neighbor by the hand and say it with me. I see Jesus in you. I see All that you do, I see Jesus in you, because I see Jesus in me. I see in my life and all that I do, I see Jesus in me. That's it. Well, we have to stop right here. We're out of time for this week, but I promise we will pick up next week right where we left off. Visit our website, Christ-Life.org. Read all about the In Christ message, this great Christ life that we all are so happy to live. Check out the bookstore. You can find so many wonderful teachings from Warren Litzman that you can have in your own home. Robbie Litzman, thank you for allowing us to go into the archives each week. We're so grateful for this. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship produces this program each week. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.